it's Monday, September the 13th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, North Korea's latest missile test and Qatar's foreign minister visits Kabul. First, the world in brief. North Korea successfully tested a cruise missile, the country's state-controlled news agency said, marking another step forward for its weapons program. America and South Korea are yet to verify the claim. Cruise missiles are not subject to the same international arms restrictions as ballistic ones. It is not known whether Kim Jong-un's regime has developed a nuclear warhead small enough to be carried on it. Qatar's foreign minister met with senior members of the Taliban in Kabul, becoming the most senior official to visit Afghanistan since the Islamists took over. Sheikh Mohammed bin Abdulrahman Al Thani met the Prime Minister, Mullah Mohammed Hassan Akund, former President Hamid Karzai and others. America's withdrawal has been a diplomatic boon for the tiny emirate. The Taliban said that women could continue to study at university, but that classes would be single-sex and a dress code would be enforced. Last time the militant group held power in Afghanistan between 1996 and 2001, women were denied an education. Their liberalising instincts are, however, limited. In the past week, the Taliban banned women's sport and violently suppressed gender rights protests. A record number of environmentalists were killed in 2020, according to a report by Global Witness. The NGO counted 227 murders last year, or four per week. Over half of all those took place in just three countries, Colombia, 65, Mexico, 30, and the Philippines, 29. One third targeted indigenous people. Global Witness has been recording the deaths of, quote, land and environmental defenders since 2012. Joe Manchin, a moderate Democratic senator, said that he would not support President Joe Biden's $3.5 trillion spending plan and encouraged his fellow party members to slow its passage. Mr Manchin thinks $1 trillion to $1.5 trillion a more appropriate number. With the Senate evenly divided between America's two parties, Democrats cannot afford to lose his vote. Israel's Defence Minister, Benny Gantz, called for sanctions on Iran, hoping to exert pressure prior to the resumption of discussions on a moribund deal designed to slow the Iranian nuclear program. Talks have been suspended since June, while Iran's new hardline president, Ibrahim Raisi, selects his new administration. Separately, Iran agreed to allow the UN's nuclear watchdog to service equipment used to monitor nuclear sites. Anne Hidalgo, Paris's socialist mayor, declared her candidacy in France's presidential elections in 2022. If she wins her party's nomination, she will still have a mountain to climb. Polls suggest that President Emmanuel Macron, who is yet to confirm he will run, and the hard-right Marine Le Pen, who also launched her bid yesterday, would make it through the first round and into a runoff. And fact of the day, 500. The number of attempts made to recall public officials in America in the first nine months of 2021. And now, here's today's agenda. Bad winter coming. Afghanistan's humanitarian crisis.
The war may be over, but Afghanistan's humanitarian crisis is worsening. The country, now under Taliban rule, is facing a grim mixture of economic devastation, COVID-19 infections and drought. Its banking system is paralysed and its foreign reserves frozen. Aid, which once funded around three quarters of the government budget, has dried up. The healthcare system is on the verge of collapse. The first snows are only weeks away. The bleakest assessments reckon 97% of the population could fall below the UN's poverty line by next year. Food, medicine, safe water and sanitation are all in short supply. Antonio Guterres, the United Nations Secretary General, will today convene a conference to solicit aid pledges, hoping to raise more than $600 million of emergency funding to help 11 million people. Countries may cough up, but it will take some cajoling. Many are reluctant to turn the aid taps back on full until they have seen how the Taliban govern. Half-Life Nuclear Power in America Lawmakers in Illinois, America's fourth largest coal mining state, aim to decarbonize the electricity grid by 2050. That strengthens the hand of Exelon, an energy firm that had threatened to shut two, quote, uneconomic nuclear power facilities, one today and another in November, unless it got a bailout. Between them, the plants supply 30% of the state's carbon-free energy. Keen to realise their green ambitions, lawmakers decided they could ill afford to see some close. They will probably cough up $694 million in subsidies to keep them humming. Bailouts like Exelon's are not uncommon, but America is moving away from nuclear power. Though it is good for the planet, investors prefer cheap and abundant natural gas. In America, only one reactor has come online in 25 years. 21 are being decommissioned. Nuclear power's share of electricity generation is projected to fall from 20% today to 12% by 2050. America, it seems, will have to look elsewhere to achieve its net zero goals. Another round. COVID-19 restrictions in Japan. A state of emergency covering Tokyo and much of Japan was supposed to end today. Instead, the government extended it until September 30th. Though new daily infections have fallen by more than half since August, they are still elevated. Restaurants are advised to close early and put the stoppers back in booze bottles. Mass gatherings and travel across prefectures will probably not resume until November, once more people are vaccinated. Just half the population is fully jabbed. The duration of these restrictions, which affect four-fifths of Japanese, matter politically. With his approval ratings plummeting, Sugo Yoshihida, the Prime Minister, announced he would not run again for the leadership of the Liberal Democratic Party. His replacement, to be chosen this month, will lead the party into November's elections for the Diet's lower house, which the LDP dominates. They hope to ease the rules in time for voters to get around in and forget the summer's hardships. Fork in the Fjord Norway's election Ernest Solberg has been Prime Minister of Norway for eight years, a record for a Conservative leader. But unless polls are badly wrong, Today's parliamentary elections will give her job to Jonas Gahr Stur of the Labour Party. 
The campaign has been dominated by climate change. Norwegians want politicians to reconcile the country's environmental commitments with the immense North Sea oil and gas fields that have given it a $1.4 trillion sovereign wealth fund and bankrolled its welfare state. Neither the Conservatives nor Labour want to phase out fossil fuels quickly. The Rural Centre Party, the largest party likely to join a Labour-led coalition, feels the same. But the smaller Green and Socialist Left parties disagree. Labour may need them, or even the far-left Red Party, to form a majority. If the Greens get at least 4% of the vote, the threshold to enter Parliament, Mr Stuhr's government may end up greener and redder than he would like. A Night to Remember The Met Gala The first Met Gala in 1948 was an intimate affair at the Waldorf Astoria, a hotel in New York. Tickets were $50 a pop, with proceeds going towards the Metropolitan Museum's fledgling costume institute. Since then, the event has become a linchpin for the city's A-list. Its exclusive guest list is assembled by Dame Anna Wintour, the editor-in-chief of Vogue, a fashion magazine, who has organised it since 1995. After COVID-19 caused the cancellation of last year's bash, tonight's event promises to excite. It will be co-hosted by four, quote, Gen Z superstars, Timothy Chalamet, Billie Eilish, Naomi Osaka and Amanda Gorman. As always, the Met's grand entrance steps will be transformed into a catwalk of bold and occasionally bizarre fashion statements. Glitzy excess aside, the event remains an important fundraiser for the museum. Some $15 million was coughed up in 2019. Each step down the red carpet is another step in New York's reawakening. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Ludwig Feuerbach, who died on this day in 1872. Everything new is received with contempt, for it begins in obscurity. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. Thank you.